You guys can grab a seat. Welcome to Christmas at Vintage. It was around this time, about five years ago, that my wife and I were praying about planting Vintage Grace. We were living in Southern California at the time. We were praying about moving up to this town in Sacramento to, to, to start this church. And around that time, we were told from our doctors, we had some medical complications we were dealing with, and our doctor said that we wouldn't be able to have any more children. We had two boys at the time, and we were thankful for that. We were a little bummed to not be able to have a third, um, but we knew that planting a church and having an infant at the same time could have been painful. It would have been like having twins. And so bless those of you that feel called to have twins or that calling has come upon you. Um, It's not easy at all. And so although we were bummed, we said, hey, it's all right. Um, We'll have our third child. It'll be called Vintage Grace. And so we committed to planting this church about five years ago. A couple weeks after we made that decision, my wife woke up in the middle of the night, kind of panicked, gasping for air. And I said, babe, what's wrong? She said, we're pregnant. And I'm like... No, like we're not. Like I didn't learn from Joseph. When your wife says she's pregnant, like she's really pregnant, right? And so, so it was one of those deals where I said, no, that's impossible. The doctor said it wasn't going to happen. And sure enough, we were. And I kind of freaked out a little bit. You saw Peyton. She's our third little girl that, that was born essentially a week before Vintage Grace actually launched as we moved up here. And, and it's been an incredible journey. Um, but I kind of panicked going, what it's going to be like to have an infant and then a church that feels like an infant? And how do we do that? And what's that going to be like for our family? And our church planning coaches said, Drew, it's really good to have those at the same time. Because there's something about babies that are so super approachable. And there's something about babies that even draw in the most grinchy Scrooge on Christmas time. You get a little smile when the baby sits there and coos and, and woos. And I don't know what it is about babies. I don't know if maybe that's because we all were one at one point or another, but we love babies. And I think that's part of the miracle of Christmas, that God who created humanity came in the form of humanity in our form that we could relate to, tangible, touchable, we could understand, and even more so, he could understand us and say that he understood everything that we had gone through. And so tonight, we gather along with millions of others all across the globe to celebrate the birth of sweet baby Jesus. Amen? And it's an incredible thing that we get the privilege of partaking of here at Vintage Grace and in America to worship freely. Now, I do remember our first child, Brayden, who read this evening. When we were pregnant with Brayden, my wife came to my office. I was studying at church, and she dropped this bag. She said, Drew, this is a diaper bag. Now, as a rookie dad who had never really heard of a diaper bag, I didn't know what a diaper bag was. I'm like, what's that for? I mean, obviously diapers, I get it, right? But, but what's this? She said, no, babe, seriously, inside this bag has the things that you're going to need to not ruin our child. And I'm like, wow, like I've heard of Mary Poppins, right, and pulling the magic stuff out of the bags. But I'm like, what's inside this bag? And so I think you can tell a lot by someone when they make a statement like, what's inside this bag will save the world. And so I thought this whole week, what would it be like if God had a diaper bag for you and me? What would be inside God's diaper bag? And so I want us to just take a moment tonight to stop and reflect on what would be inside God's diaper bag. The first thing, if you pulled out really at the top of every diaper bag, but definitely God's would be a wallet. Now, if you have a newborn or a baby, why is a wallet at the top of the bag? Anybody know? Because they're expensive, right? It's the one thing you're always taking in and out of the bag is the diaper, is the wallet so you can pay. But I, I stole my grandma's wallet one time. Forgive me, don't tell her. She's not here anymore, so she's good with it. But inside my grandma's wallet, I pulled out this thing and it just went like this. You ever seen one of these before? Now, this is my version of it because I couldn't find one on Amazon today. What are they called? It's all those pictures, right? And all the pictures come flying out. See, I'm convinced inside God's diaper bag for you and me would be a picture of every single one of us. There'd be a picture of our first steps. 
There'd be pictures of our first words, a picture of the time that, that we, we sang in the, in the church choir, a picture of our first home run and our first strikeout. There'd be a picture of all of those diaper pictures because for some reason, grandmas loved those pictures, right? And here's the thing that we must not miss at Christmas. It's part of the, the, the story of Christmas is that God loves you. See, I think we live in a world where there's messaging all over the world that says you're not good enough, you're missing this, you need this, you don't have this, you're lacking in this area. And let's not miss this at Christmas. Jesus came for you and for me for one primary motivation, for God so what? Loved the world. He loves you. As you are, where you are, and if you get nothing else from Christmas and from his diaper bag, you must understand that he loves you and that he cares about you, and he has the pictures and the memories to prove it. See, I believe that in the beginning, God created each and every one of us to have a relationship with him. We we say at Vintage Grace that our number one value is that we believe there's more joy in Jesus than in anything or anyone else that this world has to offer. That in the beginning, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus gathered and that they created the world. Genesis 1 says it this way, that God created us in his image after his likeness, different than all other forms of creation. All of creation is beautiful, but humanity is special. He gave in man and woman the likeness of himself. And he says, I want to be in relationship with you. It's why I created you. I created you to trust me and, and to be in a relationship with me where you will find no other satisfaction like you can find it here. We often use this stool of vintage grace as a metaphor for the throne of our hearts. I believe that God created each and every one of us with a, a metaphorical throne in our hearts. It's, it's his seat. He created it. It's got vacancy for one. And so in the garden, we enjoyed that kind of relationship at the beginning of creation, the father and his son and the father and his daughters. And, and we interacted in a loving way where we trusted him, where we believed that he had our best interest in mind and in heart. But something else happened in the garden. Adam in the garden, if you remember, he blamed Eve, but we'll blame Adam. Adam in the garden actually came over to the throne of his heart. I think metaphorically pushed God off of that. He said, Lord, I I don't trust you to be God in my life. I actually think my way would be better than your way. And Adam and every other human since that point has made very similar and identical choices. Paul says it this way in Romans, just as sin came into the world through that one man, Adam, so death also through sin. Because God created us for joy, and when we not got off the throne of our heart, he let us do that. He didn't make us choose him. He created us so that we could have a choice in our relationship either with him or without him. And we chose without him. And as a result, our joy was diminished. He created us for joy in relationship, but we chose to go a different way. And so as sin entered the world, so too death spread to all men because all have sinned. And so if we look at Jesus' diaper bag, the second thing that we would see, I think, would be a a diaper. Not just a normal diaper, like a fully loaded diaper. Now, I don't know about you, especially in the front rows. I don't want to get too close here, but I mean fully loaded diaper. Now, here's the reason why I think a diaper would be in here. Jesus didn't come because he had messes. He came because of my mess. He came because of the mess that, that, that I had created by knocking him off the throne of my heart, and he came to deal with that. I don't know about you guys, but when I think of a fully loaded diaper, I think of joy being compromised. I've never met a baby that loves his diaper full. Have you? Every one of them, they cry. They're like, get this thing off of me. How do you deal with this? What am I supposed to do with this? And so Jesus didn't come because he had an issue. He came because I did, because I compromised my joy by choosing sin and rebellion over actually trusting the father and being in relationship with him. And so my boys, as they were growing up, we kind of made a deal. They don't know this, but but when they were three, I got to do this with Peyton pretty soon too. I kind of made them sign a covenant with me. I said, for the last few years, I've changed your diaper so that on the last few years of my life, you'll change mine. And so we made that deal. You might not know it, but you signed that covenant somewhere. 
And, and here's what I love about this. I remember being, my, my, my son was about one. I remember changing his diaper and telling my wife, what would it be like if we had to change these diapers for these kids forever? She's like, well, here's the good news. Someday they're going to learn how to take care of themselves, right? And I'm like, I sure hope so, because I think I quit otherwise, right? And here's the reality, though. God doesn't have that same hope for you and me spiritually. There's not going to be some day where Drew's going to realize, well, this is how I solve my anger, or this is how I deal with my arrogance, or this is how I deal with my lack of trust. There is no point in my life when I'll finally figure it out. And so God looks at you and me, and he says, I've got to do something to deal with the problem that they have of sin. I have to solve this problem because they actually can't solve it themselves. I've never actually seen a baby change his own diaper. Have you? If not, I'm going to patent that. I will sell that and make lots of money, right? But babies can't change their own diapers, can they? It's beyond themselves. They need someone or something to come and to interject and to intercede for them. And that's Christmas. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came because we separate ourselves from God. And then he came near to us. I think the third thing inside Jesus' diaper bag for us would be what? Okay, now, church, you're killing me. We have things called the audience participation points of the messages. And so maybe you're a guest here, you don't realize that. But, but inside the bag would be a what? A bottle, right? Because how many of you guys understand that you have to eat to live? How many understand that? Three of you. Awesome. Cool. All right, so three of you eat to live. Actually, that's a human condition. We all need to eat to live. Every baby born needs to eat to live. Now, how many of you guys actually really more live to eat, right? Let's be honest. Now, here's the reality. It's a human condition because when we don't eat to live, we get something. We get called hangry. It's an adult condition that we get angry when, we're, when our stomach is upset. And, and here's what I think we must see in the diaper bag that God has for you and me. I grew up in the church and I totally missed this. I totally missed that God created me and designed me to be happy. As a pastor, I say this regularly at Vintage. I believe and I want you to be happier tomorrow than you are today. But the only way that's going to happen is if you recognize Jesus is the answer to your happiness. Now, he's a giver of every good and perfect gift. And he gives good gifts like family and success and health and wealth. And he gives all sorts of good gifts. But none of them will compare to actually being in relationship with Jesus. Here's my experience with cheesecake. Every time I have one piece, you know what I want? Two. It's never good enough. There's always something else that I'm lacking for and that I'm longing for and, and seeking. And I feel like Jesus said it this way. He says, I care about your needs today. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not be hungry. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst again. He says to the woman at the well, she's asking Jesus for a drink of water. And he says, I want to give you water, but really what I want to give you is living water. So you'll never thirst again. See, Jesus had a way at saying, let's talk about today. I want to meet needs today, but I really want to make sure you're thinking about an eternity of tomorrows. That's what Jesus cares about. That's why he came. Because when we rejected God, we were not ready for an eternity of tomorrows anymore. We were not living as sons and as daughters of the king like he had created us to be. So Jesus, who was born in this town of Bethlehem, which means house of bread, he came to feed the 5,000. He came to feed the masses, but really he came to feed us in a way that we would never be hungry again. And so I'm convinced that Jesus would care about our tangible needs, but he would do that in such a way that we get us focused on our eternal needs. Because we have a way in America, don't we, at really focusing on the temporal? I mean, how many of you guys understand the Niners are like one of the best teams in football right now, Right? How quickly we forget how bad they really have been, right? So quickly our life turns and we can turn on a dime and yet we miss that today is just one day in a sequence of eternity that will continue on forever. And Jesus comes to us. 
He intersects heaven and earth to invade our life and our mess and say, I love you. Don't miss me in this. A missionary said it this way once. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, growing up in the church, I thought that I needed to pay off my Jesus debt. I understood I had a diaper problem. No one had to convince me of that. I knew that I had issues. I knew that I wasn't perfect. That was real. But the reality is this, I thought that I had to earn my salvation, and so I did good things. I was a good person because I thought that was the good thing to do, but what I realized is I was never actually going to be good enough. The standard was Jesus. The standard was perfection. I broke that covenant. I walked away from God, and yet here's the reality. He came near to me. That's what Christmas is, that Jesus came to us and says, I want you to follow me, and I used to think, well, what do I have to give up to follow Jesus? I talk to, to my buddies all the time who don't love Jesus yet, and, and they say, what do I have to give up? And I go, you know, that was the exact question I used to ask, but it was the wrong question. I was so focused on holding on to all these things that didn't matter that I was like, what do I have to lose when the reality is when I follow Jesus, I start to recognize I gain everything. That I don't have to hold these things because Jesus is going to hold them and take care of them better than even I will. The, the fourth thing I think we see in di- God's diaper bag for us, anyone know what one of this is? Pacifiers promote peace, people. Like, these are gold. If you lose one of these, like, all heck breaks loose in your home. And you're laughing because you have little kids, right? Because these things are bad. I'll never forget. It was 2 a.m. and we couldn't find the pacifier. Like, I had to go Jack Bauer, Ralph Nader, and Ninja, and Luke Skywalker all at once to, to, to the crib just to find this pacifier. Because when you take a pacifier and you put it in your baby's mouth at 2 a.m. when they won't stop crying, what happens? <sighs> I mean... Game changer. I love these things. Here's the problem with pacifiers. They promote temporal peace. They promote temporal peace. They don't actually deal with the issue that your baby can't sleep. They don't actually deal with any issue. And yet we live in a world where we're longing for peace. And the peace that Jesus offers isn't just peace amongst man. It's peace vertically between me and God. It's peace between me and a father that I have rejected and I have rebelled against. And Jesus comes and offers us peace It was prophesied back in Isaiah where he was called not just wonderful counselor, not just mighty God or everlasting father, but prince of peace. One of the most beautiful pictures I've ever seen in my life was a father in the midst of the Chicago airport. I've seen it at ball games. I've seen it at church on the patio on Christmas Eve where the baby falls asleep in dad's arms. And in that moment, everything in the world is moving fast and everybody's screaming and running and there's chaos everywhere. But the baby's sleeping in her father's arms. Why? Because dad's got everything that she needs. She doesn't need anything else. That's the beauty of Christmas, is that we have a father that holds us, that cares for us, that takes care of our tomorrow, that will do with today, that will deal with today better than we ever could or ever would. And that's what we celebrate in Christmas is the peace that he offers. It's what the angels proclaim to the shepherds in the field, glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace. I think it's the one thing that everybody wants that no one knows how to get. It's not through politics. It's not through being a Bay Area sports fan. There is no peace offered. It's not through money. It's not through a better marriage. It's not, there is no such thing as peace apart from Jesus. And so Jesus comes to give us peace as the Prince of Peace. But those next couple of words the angels say should, should cause us all to stutter a little bit and if not shudder. It says, peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, I go back to the wallet where Jesus has got pictures of every part of my life and I go, oh man. See, I used to think that God was this cop. He was just looking around, waiting to catch me and all of my bad things. I, I missed that he was like a father that loved me. That's why he didn't want me to not choose him is because he wanted me to trust him. 
that he would provide the perfect peace, the perfect protection and love and joy that he offered. And I look at all those pictures and that diaper and that diaper and that diaper, and I go, oh, Lord, I don't know about you, but my life, I don't know what there is for God to look at me and say, I'm pleased. And again, that's the miracle of Christmas, that in Jesus, he looks at every single one of us and he says, you're my son and you're my daughter, and in you, I am well pleased. Now, there's no better picture of this than I think the lineage of Jesus. It's his genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. Not about you, but if you're looking at like the history of Jesus and all the people that God used to build up to the birth of Jesus, I would be thinking that I was going to look at a list of some sweet people, like holy, sacred saints. But that's not what we see here. No, in Matthew chapter 1, we look at Jesus' genealogy, and the author writes this. He says, it started back with Father Abraham. I'm like, oh, I know that name. I know Father Abraham. He was a good guy. He had many sons. No, Father Abraham was a bum. Father Abraham missed it bad. Father Abraham had such little faith that he actually gave his wife to be with another man because he lacked faith. That, 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 just for those of you that are concerned, like that's not husband of the year material, right? And you're like, well, if Abraham blew it, he must be one bad apple. There's other good guys on the list, right? Well, yeah, look at the next one, Isaac. Isaac was such a bad dad that his entire marriage was marked by deceit between he and his wife towards his kids, and you're like, well, no, but come on, there can't be that many about. No, Jacob, he's even worse. Jacob was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. Jacob was such a bad dad. Check this out. His, his sons got together and sold their youngest off into slavery. So I don't know how messed up your family is at Christmas when you all gather, but my family's not that messed up, right? And that's a good thing. But Jesus' family is. His history and his lineage is, in fact, even David, who's like the Israeli hero, the king of all kings in Israel history. David was the man that, that slept with another woman and then actually had her husband killed in battle to cover up his sin. And the reason why I like this list is because it's beautiful. It's this picture of going from the misfits of creation to the majestic of Jesus. It's this reality that our mess doesn't scare Jesus. That our life, our ugliness, our messiness, that's the reason why Jesus came. He came because we were broken. He came because we needed help. He came because we couldn't deal with our stuff and our junk and our issues. And he intervened in our lives on our behalf. And he lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. And he died the heinous death that I definitely deserved to die so that I might be adopted back to be a son and a daughter of the king. And so as I look at this reality of what is Christmas and why Christmas, this is why Jesus came. He came for the sake of the gospel. This is the gospel, that we are created and loved as children, that Jesus came to deal with the fact that we rejected that, that he provided a new way, a joy-filled way of life, of eternal, everlasting peace. Now, in America, there's really two ways that we can say something's ours. You can create something, and if you create it, it's yours. You created it, or you can purchase it. Jesus did both for you and me. He created us. And when we pushed him off the throne of our heart, he said, I'm not going to leave you in your pit of despair. No, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come near to you. And that's what I love about Christmas is not just that we came here, but that Jesus came near. Now, kids, tomorrow morning, there's going to be presents wrapped in another Christmas tree. In theory, I don't know. If not, I'm sorry. But in theory, there's going to be a present wrapped under the Christmas tree tomorrow, right? And Ford's pumped about it. He's ready for it. But as you go to that Christmas tree tomorrow with those gifts, what must you, do, must you do to actually get the gift to receive it? What must you do to the present? Open it. You actually have to take it and open it. See, every gift, if it stays wrapped under a tree, it's unrealized. It hasn't actually been received. And that's true of Jesus this Christmas. Jesus comes and says, I came for you that you might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus tells us why he came to this earth. In John chapter 15, he says this, these things I've spoken to you that my joy, 
infinite joy I want to give to you. I want to give you my joy and that your joy might be full. And that's why Jesus came. He came so we would receive his life, open the gift of his life, and find more joy in him than in anything or anyone else that this world has to offer. That is the gospel of joy proclaimed. This is my story of joy proclaimed to me. I didn't grow up in the church when I was younger, and I never thought I'd be making this video today. But God got through to me in, in, a, in a really mysterious way. Uh, a coworker about the beginning of July this year convinced me to buy a Bible. And for some reason it clicked, and that night I went out and bought one. And I started reading from the first pages in Genesis, and the, the pure truth that I was met with just, just made sense. And the more and more I read, the more and more I knew I wanted to surrender my heart to Christ. And on October 15th of this year, I was baptized here at Vintage. And since that day, my life has changed for the better in an incredible way. I have tremendous joy that, that I know has been brought to me through Jesus. And that joy was something that, that I didn't feel a year ago. I can honestly sit here today and say that my life has changed remarkably because of Him. And the joy that's been brought out in me is entirely because of Him. He, he loves us. He wants to know us. And the more and more I communicate with Him and our relationship builds, the more I want to just spread that joy to other people. And I'm so thankful for this place that we have here to worship our, our Lord. And I, I am humbled every time I, I'm in attendance because the joy that he brings is truly, truly beautiful. Hi, my name's Brittany, and this is my story of joy proclaimed to me. I grew up in the Catholic Church, and my experience with God wasn't one of joy and love, but instead a feeling of guilt and that I was constantly disappointing my Heavenly Father. Um, not the best feelings, and so from there, I strayed, and I didn't continue to go to church. I led a good life, but I still constantly felt this void that something was missing. And only in the last few years did I start experiencing Jesus reaching out to me through friends and neighbors, and I noticed a common theme throughout their lives, and it was intense joy. I, just in this last year, started feeling like God was really reaching out to me, um, almost this physical feeling of Him knocking at my heart. And we began our journey here at Vintage Grace. Um, ever since we've come here, it's been an incredible sense of community and love, joy, and peace in my soul. And I decided to give my life to Christ. And ever since then, I have felt such joy that I can't even begin to express how much happiness and love that it fills me with. For the last four Sundays at Advent, we've lit a different candle than Advent candle, one of hope, love, joy, and peace. And this Sunday, to celebrate on Christmas Eve, we light the Christ candle. I want to invite you to pull out the candle that was on your chair as you came in and Turn that knob on the bottom and turn that on because none of these realities of hope and love and peace and joy would be present or available apart from the gift of Jesus. 
And that's what we proclaim this Christmas. We proclaim that Jesus, that he who knew no sin became yours and my sin so that I who knew no righteousness might become a son and a daughter of the Father. That's the gospel. That's why Jesus came. It's what he came for. Jesus said it this way. He said, I am the light of the world. I came into this world so that whoever would follow me would not walk in darkness, but would rather have the light of life. I read recently that the gospel can be summed up in three words, light and life and love. It was from Glenn Shrivener, and she, he goes on and he writes this. In the beginning, there was light and life and love. A father loving the son and the joy of the Holy Spirit. Everything comes from light and life and love. Out of this, they created a world of light and life and love. But this is not the world that you and I live in today, is it? No, there's remnants of it, but not the purity. No, we live in a world of darkness, of death, and of disconnection. Where did this world come from? Well, it started when creation turned from light. And when you turn from light, where else do you go but darkness? And when you turn from life, what else do you get but death? And when you turn from love, what do you get but disconnection? So in this world we live in, what does love do in our present reality? Love intervenes. Love does not leave us alone. No, love pursues the lost, the disconnected, and the dead in their darkness. Love comes down that Christmas morning in the form of Jesus to enter our darkness. He says, your pit will be my pit, your plight will be my plight, and your darkness will be mine, and your death will be my death. Jesus comes down and takes that disconnection on himself to the cross. He takes that darkness in himself, and he wears that wrath on the cross, and he takes our death that we deserve from turning from God to the cross, and he plunges it down into the hell and the tomb that we all deserve, and then three days later, he rises again, conquering sin and grave to light and life and love. And then he turns to us, to you and to me, and he says, you in the darkness, do you want my light? He says, you in death, do you want my life? And he says, you in your disconnection, do you want my love? And anyone who simply says yes to Jesus, we get Jesus in our life. We get his father as our father and his spirit as our spirit. And we get his future as our future. And it's free and it's forever. And so the question this Christmas is, do you want Jesus? Because we all want something. God created us to have a longing and a desire for our joy. He created it on many levels to be insatiable apart from him. And so we're longing and we're looking for something That will just make us happy. And Jesus is sitting here at Christmas saying, would you consider me? Would you consider me and what I have to offer? That I actually might be able to do better with your life than you could. And saying yes to Jesus isn't difficult. Again, I grew up in the church and missed the joy of Jesus altogether. And I came back later once I realized and recognized that God's better was better for me and for this world. That the peace that we're longing for in this world will only be found when we turn to Jesus. And so if you want to say yes to Jesus tonight, I don't want you to miss Christmas without an opportunity to say yes. To say yes to him being your light and your life and your love because it's why he came. He came to make a way back to the Father as the light of the world. So I'm gonna ask everyone around just where you're at to just bow your head, to close your eyes. When we pray, we often open our hands on our lap just as a a sign of saying, God, I'm open to what you're inviting me into. And so I wanna just invite you to lay your hands open on your lap. And maybe you've been gone from, from church, gone from God for a long time, and, and maybe tonight you're here. Maybe it's one of those things you say, look, I, I've wandered so far, and I've gone so far away from God, I don't know how I can come back, but please recognize that God has never left you. He's continued to pursue you, even as you've waned in your pursuance of him. He's pursued you every step of the way, and part of how I know that is because you're here today. You wouldn't be here if he didn't want you here. 
but he's been knocking at the door of your heart. Maybe you're like Kyle, you've never been in church your entire life and you're like, I don't know, all I know is I need something. Maybe you're like Brittany who grew up in the church and around faith, but the religiosity of it all caused you to miss Jesus and his grace and his mercy and his love. But wherever you are, no matter how far you've wandered, here's God's heart for you. And you can pray it this way. Just repeat these words in your heart after me. God, I recognize that you created me. You designed me to be your child, that you love me. Thank you for loving me. I also recognize that I've not lived a life that's in accordance to what you designed me for. To trust you, to treasure you, to believe that your better is better that I have settled for lesser joys, that I have pursued my own reality as opposed to actually submitting to yours. And right now, God, I wanna give you my life back. You created it, it's yours. You purchased it, it's yours again. And I wanna give it back to you because you're gonna do better with it than I ever could or would. And when you say that in your heart, God hears that. And it says this, that he is faithful and just to receive all of those who would repent. And all repent is, is this word that says, I'm going to turn from the way I used to live. And instead, I'm going to live for Jesus is not just the king, but my king, my Lord and my savior, my light of the world. If you said that prayer. If you said that in your heart, what you did is you confessed with your mouth and proclaimed that Jesus is Lord. And I want to be the first to welcome you to God's family. And he says, welcome home. Welcome home, my son and my daughter. I've loved you and I have never left you and I never will leave you. Welcome home. We describe family really in two different ways, by a name and by blood most often. We are defined at vintage by the name of Jesus. The more joy that he offers and the king that he is, and we are defined by his blood that covers the sin of the world and makes us have a way home to life everlasting. If you made that decision, I want to encourage you to put a note on your connect card, to to grab me after service, to come forward and pray with one of our pastors, our elders that's here. We exist as a church to help in this journey of fighting for our joy with Jesus. For all of us, can I invite you to stand with me for this closing song? I want you to take this light that we have as a symbol of Jesus being the light of the world and raise it high because he came to proclaim his light and life and love on this one silent holy night. He came and met us as we were where we are to proclaim his love to the world. Let's sing of his love together tonight.